Hey everyone, this is Mahesh Madhav. I'm a performance engineer here at Ampere Computing. And today we're coming to you from the new Ampere building in Portland's Pearl District, overlooking the Willamette waterfront. And today I have the special privilege of speaking with Renee James, who is the founder and CEO of Ampere Computing. Let's get right into it. So Renee, Ampere now is a little over three years old. Our first product is out there in the marketplace. The Ampere Ultra 80-core CPU is making headlines. And the industry wants to know, people want to know a little bit more about our company and how we got started. So let's start at the beginning. Can you share some motivation for the foundation of a new semiconductor company? Yeah. I started Ampere because I had retired from a lengthy career in semiconductors. And about, I'd say, six months, I had done my bucket list. And I realized that what I really missed was the process of invention, the energy around figuring out the next big thing, and that while I was on many boards and I had been working in private equity, that it wasn't the same as inventing things and being surrounded by that energy of optimism to fix a super hard technical problem and actually training people and working with people that was something that I loved. And so you imagine when you retire, you have all these things that you wanted to do for the 30 years that you didn't do, like go to Italy for two months. So I did all those things. And then I was like, okay, now that was a really good sabbatical. It was, it was six months long. And then I realized I loved my job. I left a company I loved and a job I loved because I was in an untenable situation, not because I was done. So I spoke to several of my older mentors in the industry, one of whom at the time was still living, was the, one of the founders of Intel, and they said, go build the next one. And I, I mean, honestly, that sounds insane to go build another semiconductor company in this day and age. But then I realized that there were a lot of people like me that weren't done. And so I gathered a group of them. All of them have joined the company, thankfully. And we discussed it. Like, was it possible? What would we do differently? What problem did we want to solve? What were the things left undone that we should do? And they, of course, thought I was a bit crazy because it takes a lot of capital to do a semiconductor company. But I remained confident that with the right team, with the right focus, that we could do this. So we, you know, I wrote a business plan, got, went around and saw, I saw every venture capitalist in Silicon Valley that knows me. They all said, you know, Renee, you've had a great career. You should join boards. You should mentor people. There's lots of little semiconductor startups that you could help. But, you know, we don't do hardware. Uh, we don't fund semiconductors. That's why there's not been a big scale new one in a decade plus. And um, good luck with that. We really like you. Good luck with that. So then I realized that wasn't going to work. So then I went to see private equity firms and two of them told me no. And two of them said maybe. And the one that I had been doing work for as an operating executive, Carlisle, said yes. And I actually thought they were the most conservative of all of them and that they would be the most risk adverse, but their view was different. We back teams and we know you and we believe in your team. And certainly we have strategic investors who were super helpful because their criteria was we need people who are smarter than us technically to 
you know, make sure that we're this is cred a credible deal. So our strategic investors, whom are Oracle and Arm, came along and I think lent Carlisle that confidence that this was indeed a good direction to invest in. But they are by far and away the largest investor. Thanks. So in your answer, you mentioned teamwork and training people. It feels like this company has a foundation of learning and mentorship. There is. Can you talk a little bit about that mentorship and the, you know the technical curiosity? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question. Ampere, when we started it, we made a list of all the things that we thought in our prior careers, and some people were from other companies, and some people were at Apple, and some people were at Qualcomm, and some people were at AMCC. But core founders, my, I'm I'm the primary founder, but I brought along a couple of people who are CTO and our head of engineering, who were also you know, ex-Intel executives. And we, we talked a lot about the things that we thought made us so successful. And one of them was the ability to learn and the curiosity, which we all still had, which is why we were still not done, right? Because we loved the learning process. And so what we said was, you know, what we should do is teach the next generation how to do what is largely an art, not a science of high performance. And that in doing that, we should couple super experienced people, meaning 25 to 30 year people with teams, you know, 10 to 20 person teams of people who are newer to the industry, either just coming out of their undergraduate program, maybe coming out of their master's program, even interns, some new PhDs, and at every level, really draw off their creativity and the newness and the freshness of their knowledge, but at the same time, the experience of having built, you know, tens or 11 generations of high-performance processors. So that was one of our core tenets. The other one was invention. We said that, you know, one of the things that we have all been about and the thing that makes us excited is inventing new ways to do things. And certainly when people say it can't be done, that's another thing that just makes all of us, mostly me, super excited. Some people say uh, ARM, ARM's never been successful in servers. I'm like, well, that's right up our alley. Or ARM couldn't be higher performance than x86. We're like, uh, we're all over that. So. We believed that there were a bunch of things that were left undone, not just in the ARM community, but also in high performance around the cloud. Nobody's ever built a cloud native processor before. That's what we did. We basically said, take, you know, just throw out everything you knew before and just build something native for the cloud. So yeah, we're about learning. We're about invention. We're about creating teams of people to be able to do things that you can't ordinarily do. All of those are tried and true ways for having major breakthroughs. And you see it all over Ampere. If you, if you went out today and you wrote down on paper what we've done, you said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start a microprocessor company, not an AI accelerator, not an FPGA company, a microprocessor. I think what we should do is build a product that has 80 cores and 32 billion transistors in two years. That's what we should do. Mm -hmm. And we should hire enough people to be able to do that and sell it and support it and all the things it takes, to, you know, the entire software team to make sure all the software is going to actually work and scale. We should do that. And we're going to do that in two years. And then we're going to build the highest performing cloud native processor ever. Yeah, we should that that you should do that. And you know what everyone would say? You guys, 
should probably have stayed retired. You're a little crazy. And uh, that's what we've done. That's Ampere. And I think that's the essence of who we are. And I think we, you know, every single person here every day tells me they're so excited to come to work because of that. Ampere Ultra is definitely breaking records now. And there's multiple tech review websites out there that have measured the product. They measured against competition. It's winning a lot of these these performance battles, power battles. Uh, what caught my ear from what you said is that this is the next generation processor company. It is with the next generation of engineers. It is. Yes. So that's a good that's a good point. We actually purposefully built the company both the physical company, the way the company looks, the way that the offices are designed, the open spaces, the communal, you know, kitchen areas, the ability to have, you know, kind of what I would call a, a positive work environment as well as leisure space, that kind of thing in the office. We did that on purpose. We did that and we actually made it look like a modern software company even though we're building hardware, because people traditionally think, you know, I'm an electrical engineer, or I'm a physicist, or I'm a material scientist, so I'm not going to go work in semiconductors. I mean, how boring could that be, right? And truthfully, semiconductors are the foundation of everything. Like everyone loves to talk about Uber, and they love to talk about Facebook and WhatsApp and all this stuff. Guess what? There's none of that if there's no microprocessors. And it turns out we're not going to figure out who lives on all these other planets unless we get better microprocessors. So what we do is the lifeblood of all these things that all of humanity worries about. That's the part that makes us get up and do our job every day. But we also know that employees in this generation, which the founders and myself are not from, we want to be, but we're not, don't want to work in the kinds of environment we worked in. They don't want to have to work two years to get three weeks off, which is why we have a flexible, open time off policy like Netflix, right? So what we did when we started was we went around and we looked at work environments. We studied operating manuals from companies that we thought were being really successful, Google, Netflix, Amazon. And we looked at their policies for employees and we said, which ones of these can work in semiconductors? And if they could work, we're using them. And, and by the way, imagine that a bunch of people who came from a very, very structured environment that was had a very specific culture for 30 years threw it all out. And we thought that was really important because we know from our history, you have to walk out the door and come back in as the new team. Because if you're the same team, you're not going to get a new result. A lot of people in the industry are wondering about why you've started a company now. Now, meaning in this time? Now, meaning, you know, if you look at a lot of companies have tried ARM servers uh, and have forged a pathway that. Yeah, they've gone down a pathway that uh, perhaps wasn't as fruitful as they would have liked. Pioneers. Yeah, pioneers. You can consider them pioneers. They, they've they laid a trail. We are thankful for them. Are we the mace bearers for ARM servers? Or how, how does the choice of architecture come into play in our yeah, industry? Yeah, I don't think it's about ARM. I think it's about building the right processor for cloud native. And I don't think the, that the instruction set architecture matters. It hasn't mattered to software in a long time. 
And the microarchitecture features are far more important, and everybody knows that. And the way you put the platform together and the way that it connects with memory and I.O. and the way that the cores talk to each other and the way that it scales software and manages software and allows customers to have visibility into features and, and control of features, those are the kinds of things that customers care about. I don't think they care what the underlying instruction set is. We passed over that bridge a long time ago. So that's neither here nor there to me. The fact that it's ARM is great, that's fine. It could have been something else. In fact, we looked at everything else. We looked at every instruction set architecture. You would imagine with Autic and Rohit that we would make a chart and that we would evaluate each architecture on its merits and dismerits and well, could we use RISC and could we use you know Spark and could we use this? And here's something that we decided. They didn't fail because they were wrong. They failed because they either made a fundamental mistake in high performance because they were coming from cell phones or someplace else, or they were too soon, meaning they didn't have access to the caliber of process technology that we get from TSMC today, or the design tools were not, or you know, the IPs were not evolved enough at the time that, that some of the earlier companies tried, and they didn't possibly didn't comprehend the complexity of the server environment. It is orders of magnitude more complex than client. It requires knowledge far beyond the processor into subsystems that many people don't have. And you can build a beautiful CPU, but it turns out the way that it talks to memory kind of matters. And, and mesh fabric, right? So if you're a supercomputer person and you're coming to work on cloud servers, that's one thing. You know, hey, I worked on IBM Power and built all the, you know, that is one thing. If you're coming from building cell phones and we're talking about a mesh that has 160 CPUs to deal with, we're kind of in a different stratosphere. And even the software, you know, dealing with the scheduler and the timing and getting the, you know, things right, it's just different. And it's just hard. It's super hard. You know, building a modern server microprocessor is significantly harder than putting a man on the moon was in the 60s. And I think that that level of complexity is lost. It's glossed over when we talk about, oh, ARM versus x86. That doesn't matter. It matters what you do with it. And so we came to the belief, we're like, oh, it isn't which one. It's what you do with it. And we know what to do with it, right? And that's how we ended up that way. And, you know, I am thankful for the pioneers. I'm thankful for all of them, especially Qualcomm, who had a great part and was almost to the finish line when they gave up. I, I think it's important because it moves the industry along. It moves developers along. It starts to begin to set the expectation. So one of the things that made us very confident in ARM is the amount of developers in the world that are on ARM across the world and embedded in IoT, in telecommunications, in phones, billions of devices. A lot of developers know how to program in the ARM environment. So we felt like if we give them the right platform, they'll be able to work on the cloud no problem. And I think that was one of the overwhelming reasons that ARM was the right choice. One of the great things about working at Ampere is it feels like our customers are rooting for us to succeed. You know, th there seems to be a yearning or a desire from cloud service providers for a new source and a new fresh perspective. And, uh, you know, it's up to us to build something that they want. 
Uh, and that's a really good position for us to be in. Yeah, I mean, I think we need to be, um, you know, clear that we spent our lives building Xeon, <laughs> many of us. And it is, by far and away, the very best enterprise server and high-performance, you know, HPC, all of those things. So we're in no way, shape, or form trying to do what we did before. We're trying to do what comes next. I think people are rooting for us because I think many of us have been in this industry a long time. And a lot of people who run these companies know nothing lasts forever. And um, platform dominance has a natural life cycle. And that life cycle is usually measured in decades. And we are at the tail end of a many decade life cycle of a certain style platform, which originated out of the PCAT architecture. And that persisted for almost 40 years. That's a good run, as was, you know, IBM mainframes before us. But something comes next. And we know that. Nothing lasts forever. Why was Intel started? Because they worked at Fairchild on vacuum tubes. And what did they believe? Something came next called the integrated transistor and that they could build it. And as much as they loved working at Fairchild, and as much as they believed in what they did, they could do better. We can do better. We can do what comes next. So I don't disparage what came before us because we built that. We just think about what we think comes next and how do we train those people to be able to carry forward. And this is an industry, as it has always been since the 60s in semiconductors where you must be trained by Absolutely. those who came before you. It is a craft. It isn't like, hey, I think I'm gonna become a semiconductor architect. You know, that's not how it works, right? Just like people who design cars go and work, you know, it's that kind of a business. It's complicated. It's just as hard as building an airplane. So any of these guys who do complex manufacturing have very similar kinds of you know, you have to have an aspirational goal for the next platform. You have to have the breakthrough team. And then that that kind of carries on for some manner of decades because a cluster of developers and engineers get all trained on how to do that. And they make it better and they make it better and they make it faster and they make it, you know. And then kind of at the end. Then you've, and that's the history of the industry. We've seen it in televisions. We've seen it in telecommunications. We've seen it in everything. And you can plot the S-curves on all of them, right? One thing we do differently in the performance team inside of architecture is that we acknowledge our history and learn learn from it and build upon it. So we're tweaking what we do, our tools and methodologies with a new paradigm to avoid the mistakes of our past. And we try to work more efficiently with, with um, you know, open source tools, more automation, not as much busy work. And when I look around, it seems like we all have this mentality for doing things more efficiently. Can you talk about the company being more uh, lean in its approach Its approach, yeah. to semiconductor design and manufacturing? Yeah. I like to think that we're like the Henry Fords of semiconductors. Lots of people built cars. Henry Ford figured out how to build cars efficiently with a high performance, high throughput way. So very much, you know, we are trying to say, 
having done this for a while, how would you do it in a more repeatable, easier, quicker, lightweight, and more predictable way? Using tools that have been invented in the last decade that we didn't have before. Emulation. The level of emulation that you can do today that we never did before, that can give you insights well before you build the silicon on where you might have trouble. So you get a better result, which means no steppings or one stepping or two, not four, right? Which takes time and money and people, a tremendous amount of people. So I think the, you know, the use of modern tools, the, the understanding where value lies, not reinventing things that don't add value, reusing component, you know, modules off the shelf of IPs that are not value added, but you must have them in every design. Whereas in the early days of modern, you know, CAD designed semiconductors, not hand drawn, you were building all your own IPs because they didn't exist. And that was totally appropriate, but now they do, right? So we can get hubcaps anywhere. We just need to make them look really good and fit our car. And, you know, this is, this is kind of where we're at, which is taking the evolution of the semiconductor industry and modern tools around semiconductor development and, and using that to streamline and make more efficient the development process. What is not changed and never will is the invention process. It turns out that the tools only tell you if you got it right. They don't tell you how to do it. So the, still there's this IQ thing in semis and in everything. It's true in software too. I'm only talking about my industry and about Ampere and about, you know, kind of why are we doing this company? But that intellectual process of invention and the iteration between new ideas and tried ideas and all of that, you can't streamline that, but you can teach a whole bunch of people to do it so you can get some parallel throughput. So there's kind of two aspects to it. How do you increase the bandwidth on invention and decrease the, the throughput time on execution and building and quality? Make sense? Yes, of It's course. a super complicated business, <laughs> so much fun. <laughs> and I probably have more passion for the U.S. semiconductor business than anybody in it. I love this business. When people say to me, what the hell are you doing? I thought you were retired. I'm like, oh my gosh. Best job I've ever had. I only do the fun stuff now. It's great. You are a unicorn in that way. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but I was trained. I mean, I had the I had the greatest lucky career. You know, in uh, I worked at a software startup. I, you know, the Intel was first Intel's first acquisition. I worked at Intel. I thought I'd be there until I went to go get my master's. Then I found out Intel would pay for a master's. Didn't read the small print because I was 23 years old. And it said, you know, then you have to work here for five more years. And then I met Andy Grove and he asked me to come work for him. And I learned everything I needed to know about running a semiconductor company and a few more things that I probably should not have learned. But he, uh, he was a great mentor and he profoundly believed in the health of the industry, growing employees, growing competitors, growing the ecosystem, and that each individual company needed to be successful in its own right. But the health of the overall industry was critical to everyone being successful. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about making sure we have a healthy U.S. semiconductor industry, well, global semiconductor industry, and that there are places for people to work. We went through a massive consolidation phase in the last decade where there's like four or five big semiconductor companies left that's not healthy. And and two of them are working on a platform that's 40 years old. So we're kind of, you know, 
where I'm going? <laughs> that answer why we started in theory, that was the longest answer ever. <laughs> hey, we're digging deep into motivation. Yeah. And that's great. I see different eras of companies that come and go, different waves of companies. And it appears that we are on a new wave. And it's more than just yeah. Ampere. There's a bunch of new semiconductor companies, a lot of them. How like is Ampere differentiating from them? How do we fit in? And what do we do differently? How are we doing it differently? Well, I think many of, I'm hoping many of us will succeed. We're probably, I don't know of any other, well, there might be one other microprocessor startup that was just recently announced. Uh, microprocessors aren't for the faint of heart, you know? They're kind of the big dog of, of, of semiconductors. And if having money and being big made you successful, there'd be a lot more of them. It's really the know-how. It's the people. It's the approach. It's the, it's kind of the, the intellect, you know, the intellectual th th way you think about what's possible and then the way you go about figuring out if you can build that, that is the pixie dust of semiconductors. And so a lot of them fail because it's really hard. Microprocessor business requires three things. Each one in its own right is so complex that it, it is daunting to most normal companies. And you have to do all three of them at the same time in perfect unison to get it right. And that is you have to invent the microprocessor. That's step number one. Harder than most things you're ever going to do in your entire life. But just say you get all that right. Then you got to put it in a platform all this other stuff. You know, the socket, the architecture and the building of the socket for one of these things today and the heat dissipate, all of the mechanical engineering that goes along with that, right? High-speed memories, all the IOs. Okay, you got to get that right. So when you get that working, then there's the software, the final frontier of hell, where you're like, oh, everything's booting and it's coming up. Oh my God. Why isn't it right? Wait, it worked perfectly. Yeah, I know. But it doesn't work now. So now we're going to figure out why. And you have to do all three of those things. And then when you get all that done, people want to pay you less than they paid last year for something that's twice as fast, does amazing new things. And you're like, wait a minute, why do you want to pay me less? Well, because it should. Okay, so the business is tough. So, you know, like, do you wake up every day and go, you know what, that's what I want to do. And I say, yes, that's what I want to do. And then you say, why? And I say, because we get to invent the future. How many companies invent the future? Like two, three, right? Inventing the future matters. So we get up every day and we do all these things. And every once in a while, you get them all right. So. Amazing. Yeah. You always tell us that customers care not just about the single product, but about the entire roadmap. Customers care about the roadmap because they never will buy just one thing. Like they don't want one hit wonder. It costs them too much in engineering to just do one product, right? Yeah. They want to know there's something, you know, they want to, they want an annual cadence in cloud and they want to be able to know that there's something more coming because they want to differentiate against their competitors either through features and functions or performance or both. Yeah. So roadmap, 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 cadence, cadence, cadence. I will say this. If I were giving a keynote about, you know, I think it's a great industry. And by the way, you may ask me about all the 60 other companies. Lots of them are doing accelerators. 
And whenever we see a big boom of innovation in semis, it's around the platform and accelerating new capabilities or new functions that that the general purpose processors don't do a great job of or do an okay job of and haven't moved on to do a great job of it. And we see that innovation. So the innovation is a good signal because what happens, the innovation starts and then it starts to suck in and get integrated. And that's a normal cycle. You see that cycle once about every decade or so, decade and a half, we're in one of those cycles now. So you'd expect some of them to be the winners and they'll emerge as the next NVIDIA, and you'll expect some of them to be acquired and some of them just to go away. And that's a normal cycle of innovation. It's all good news for our industry. So sorry, I didn't answer that before. But if I was giving this keynote about why you should start a semiconductor, here's what I tell you. I already told you all these three things, super complicated, blah, blah, blah. Get to invent the future. Time is the enemy of all great semiconductors, and it's the one thing you can't buy can't get it back. Time, 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 be on time. The cadence of your roadmap matters. And so what does that turn into? Execution, flawless execution. At the end of the day, all of the invention, all of the perfecting the platform, and all of the software doesn't matter if it's not on time. So flawless execution is at the core of winning in this business. And you asked me, you know, customers seem to be rooting for us. Well, you know what customers are rooting for? They're rooting for themselves. They're rooting for innovation that helps them do a better job and make more money. And they are hopeful that we can bring that to them because we've built the world's first native cloud processor. So they're saying, thank God, this is it. This could be it, right? And that's what I think they're rooting for. Great. Yeah. And, you know, most of the time you have no idea what's going to happen for yeah, building yeah, yeah. the right thing. Well, you know, I, I think this is a kind of, this is a super fun business, but part of what makes it fun is like, is it like you, you have to be a bit of a daredevil. You kind of have to be a poker player, right? Or, a, you know, gambler. It's like, it's like a daredevil business. It's kind of, <laughs> I don't know how else yeah. to describe it. People are like, you love it. I'm like, I'm kind of a daredevil. Like, I like it. It's risky. Yeah, I think those are the kinds of people who come to work at Ampere. Yeah, right. Because if you, because you're like-minded, because you're like, hey, we can do this. Because as I said, if you write all this stuff down on paper, this is insane what we're doing. Yeah. And beautiful because we've done it, right? Yeah. So a lot of risk takers come here. Since the company is doing a lot of hiring now, a lot of recruiting, I know that people coming out of college or grad school, they may not know what kind of jobs exist for computer engineering, yeah, uh, electrical right. engineering. So uh, one of the things we do in this podcast is share some of those um, roles that we have, like software validation, uh, design, design verification, uh, motherboard design. And in that same vein, I'm going to ask you, you know, let's say I'm a fresh engineer yeah. coming out of school. What would you tell me? about why I should work at your company as opposed to somewhere else? I think at Ampere, you can learn more than you may be able to learn in another like job in the same industry. So say you are an electrical engineer and you want to work on, you've been doing parts of CPU design in your thesis or whatever you, and you want to get a job in this industry. The jobs are bigger at Ampere because we're smaller. So you have a lot more autonomy. You have a lot more scope. You get to work on whole projects. And I, I think the feedback that I've gotten, you know, 
from employee forums and discussions has been, oh my gosh, I, I was like responsible for doing this entire piece of blah, blah, blah. And I, I've never worked on something so big and it was so much fun. But you're not like flying on your own. You're there with Atik or, you know, Sean, who's got, you know, 30 years experience in doing RTL and can, so they're, you're surrounded by um, coaches and mentors who are extraordinarily capable. In fact, in some ways, I would say famous in the industry for what they've done. The Ampere Fellows are prolific inventors, prolific. I mean, you can Google their patents. You know, anyone who has 55 CPU patents, come on. So you have p the access to people with profound capability um, to learn from in a one-on-one -on -one situation, which more so than your college professor, you know, you're ever going to learn. And they're giving you feedback on your actual idea or execution. So I think, you, you know, you come to Ampere if you are ambitious, you want to learn a lot, you want to become expert in this field, in any one element of it, whether it's platform mechanical design, even the finance. You know, the finance part, it's kind of ironically of planning capacity and understanding this business is actually quite complicated. So even that part operationally is a key learning. Supply chain is a key learning. So I think in every discipline, sales, marketing, engineering, architecture, we have people here with so much experience, you just learn more because it's smaller. And the other part about it is it's really a very friendly environment. And I cannot overstate how important it is to work in a really positive environment. It's great when people uplift one another and allow for a safe and inclusive environment where many diverse voices can be heard. Yeah, I think that's right. Like if I see, I, I literally have to tell you, if someone writes me some like grumpy email, I just delete it. Like in the old days, I'd like read it and get aggravated and like maybe write them back. Now I'm like, I just delete it. I'm not dealing with that shit anymore. I don't do it anymore. I'm done. It's a... You know, you didn't come out of retirement to deal with that kind of stuff. That's right. So anytime I have anything that seems like my pre-retirement life, I'm like, yeah, don't do that anymore. I just don't do that anymore. I'm immediately reminded of Lord of the Rings and Gandalf the Grey when he dies and comes back as Gandalf the White. Yeah. Now, he doesn't care about any small fries. He's here to save the world and nothing's going to get in his way. Yeah, that's exactly right. We have to reinvent the semiconductor industry. We don't have time for all that stuff. We left that behind. You know, last summer I had three interns and I put them on projects that were in the critical path. Thanks. Thanks for doing that. And it totally freaked them out, but it put them in a place where they knew that they were valuable. They're doing important, important work, important stuff that we need. The rest of the team was relying <laughs> Big on Big risk taker you are. <laughs> they grew tremendously. You know what? People rise to the level of the people that they work with. I had an employee tell me a story in our open um, forum on Monday, okay? And this, the, the woman said to me, in my last job, it was to figure out how to do less and less of this thing, which is emulation, and to justify why we should do less emulation, and it would make the product better, which is intellectually dishonest. I mean, it's just not, it's, it's wrong. It's not true. And she said, here, my job is to figure out how we do more, more and more and make the product better. And I said, yeah. And that pretty much, because it was more of the cost cutting versus using emulation. In fact, we're spending more on it to 
get a lower cost, but a better product faster, which is actually cheaper. It's a different idea, right? So they both are cost conscious. They're both about getting something done at a better price. Very different ways to think about them, right? So I think, you know, that kind of summarizes Ampere. It's like, yeah, I'm not surprised you put two people on credit. People will rise up to the challenge that you give them if it's, if it's, if it's consistent with their values. So in the case of interns wanting to learn a lot and do something important and make a difference, right? They rise to the occasion. And I, we see that time and time again. And that's how you get outsized, um, performance. I feel that when people are put in a position of power or when I'm in a position of power, my job is to empower others. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. Can you talk a little bit about mentorship in that way? Mentorship can be as simple as, you know, just giving someone feedback, you know, on or talking to them over lunch, or it can be as formal as they want coaching. I think mentorship is up to the mentee, not to the mentor. I never mentor people that don't find me. I don't say, oh, I'm going to mentor you. I mean, that's kind of weird. And they can be very influential, right? I mean, in the case of Andy, I worked for him for almost five years. I could have been done, but I decided that I wanted him to be my lifelong mentor. But I went to him with my, here's the thing I'm working on, I could use your advice. So I got into a cadence of every every other Friday, every couple of Fridays, I would go to his house and I would ask him questions. So I'm a strong believer in strong mentors. I think that I think they are important in every phase of your career. You might need different ones for different things. But I also think it's the onus is on you as the employee to find them and to cultivate them, not the other way around. So I don't like mentorship programs because it for it's like it's forced yep. it's it's like speed dating. Yep. It's weird. I like better to say mentorship is part of our culture. So if someone asks you to mentor them. My expectation is you're going to say yes if it's a good fit, but we're not going to do mentor programs because they're weird. Even though I totally believe in mentorship. Does yep. that make sense? Yeah, I totally agree with that. You know, my belief is that people come and go as mentors and mentees, and those roles could be switched. You could. In one field versus another. That's right. And that's the great thing about Ampere is that nobody has a big enough ego to get jostled when that happens. Yeah, we kind of left those behind too. Actually, I mean, you know, it takes a village. This stuff is so complicated. I've said throughout this interview multiple times in multiple ways and multiple dimensions of complication. No one person is more important than the other. Everyone has a job to do. And if we all do it, we win. And if we don't all do it, we don't. And hierarchy and... um you know, false pretense doesn't help. It just takes more time. And what's our big enemy? Time. Exactly. So here we are, end of 2020, beginning of 2021. The Ampere Ultra product has launched 80 core, 80 core chip, two sockets. The press is coming back very positive. We've had many great reviews. Uh, we've been winning performance battles on Anantec and Serve the Home. It's something to be really proud of. Can you share a little bit about what your thoughts are, how excited you are about Ampere Ultra? Well, first of all, 
it's the first ever cloud native processor built from built for the cloud without any legacy with an eye towards what cloud hyperscalers and other cloud you know lots of clouds are not at the hyperscale they may be in you know an enterprise or in in some other place but or even an edge cloud but this is a product that was designed specifically for the demands of cloud software whether it be on scalability or performance, throughput, isolation, uh, you know, all of the attributes of what you would expect in modern cloud software. And at the performance level, which is the high watermark of the industry. And I think that's one of the most stellar things about it. It's, it's our flagship product and we are able to hit a performance level that has never been seen by ARM, but is on par with anything x86. 80 cores is not something people have ever done before with ARM. We obviously have a 2P can, 1P and 2P configuration. So, uh, <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's a big machine and has a lot of capability. We're excited about it. And more importantly, we were able to preserve the power envelope that's naturally part of the ARM architecture. So to deliver that kind of performance at, you know, 200 plus or minus watts is unheard of, just unheard of. And it was our, our design target and we exceeded it. So I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah, Ultra is something that we're all proud of. Can you share some insights on how we did it when the other guys can't do it? Well, I mean, um, as you will hear, because the rebuttal to our 80 cores is not all cores are created equally. Yes, that is my argument that I created. I understand it very well. I also understand hyperthreading. I also understand a whole bunch of these things. Guess what? We don't have a lot of that stuff because cloud software likes single-threaded performance. And it's about hosting VMs. And it's about throughput and scalability. Also, you know, candidly, the ARM architecture has a lower power footprint. And we didn't destroy that in putting together 80 of them. We maintained it, but that was a design objective. You could have, could have made, I mean, we could unleash the power if we wanted to, we get even higher performance. So we were, we really were trying to hit the sweet spot of like performance from what other, you know, what, what we think is competitive in the industry today with the power envelope that we, we know ARM you know, has staked a claim on, if you will, and is important to customers for total cost of ownership for managing these large scale data centers. So we wanted to bring them value. And there's value in that in that price performance spot. Thanks, Renee. So I have one more question. And I'm wondering, during hiring, we're convincing people to join and come along with us on our journey. Uh, how did you convince some of the first people to come along with you? Well, um, it was, uh, that's a long answer, how I convinced them all to join. Each one was a different, a different thing. For those of us that were retired, it was simply me saying to them, ha, huh, you're not, you're not done. You can do better. You know, we are all very, um, how can I say it, overachievers. So the challenge of doing better worked for some of the retirees. For those that weren't retired, who were more mid-career, it was really the opportunity to build something amazing and to create a work environment that we thought would just be fabulous. It has turned out to be fabulous. And to, to work with a new group of young people, 
I think there, there's a lot to be said about the energy of having so many people, you know, roughly under the age of 37 working in the company. It's really inspiring. We're all pretty like-minded. I think we've all been in the industry long enough to understand that there is always something that comes next. And if we're the ones that have an idea of what it could be and we can, we can execute it, that's a pretty big deal. I mean, I don't think when the eight people who followed Bob Noyce or the seven who followed Bob Noyce and the Trader Estate out of Fairchild in 1969 and they started Intel and people thought they were insane. Oh, good luck with that. You should build integrated transistors. We're, you, you know, Fairchild was the number one semiconductor company in the world, right? Weren't even semiconductors, it was vacuum tubes, whatever. Fairchild was a big dog. All these DOD, you know, some of these guys, Gordon Moore, it's like an optic, right? Like, okay, they all go down the road and they start Intel. Do you think that they knew that it would become what it is today? I had no idea. They just knew they could build whatever came next and they could do better. And they had that, that you know, whatever it is. That's what we are. <laughs> we said, yeah, I think we can do this. We can do what comes next. And uh, yeah, we'll see. History will judge us, I guess. Thanks, Renee. Well, it looks like we can do it. Oh, we're doing it. We're not 50 years into it yet. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Sure enough. But, All right. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for your time, Renee James. She is the CEO and founder of our company, Ampere Computing. See you next time. <laughs>